Panzercrush.com. Hey, true believers, this is Stan Lee. I'm your host, Chris Eaton. Uh, joining me today is the uh, official third member of this group. Sir, say hello. Hello, this is Mark Jaramillo. Uh Jessica is a little preoccupied with uh, a few business things at the moment. She will be back for the next episode when we review Colossal. But uh, I wanted to get to this, this particular topic, because... Uh, we just passed the uh, anniversary about a week ago from this recording, so I wanted to get out in the month of its anniversary. And Sir, what are we talking about today? We are talking about the 40th anniversary of the release of the first issue of the Marvel Comics Godzilla, King of the Monsters. The, the very first true comic book uh, uh, adaptation of Godzilla, if you will. Like, especially here in the States. I mean, there, there were mangas and stuff out there, but th- this was... This is a red-blooded goddamn comic book here, so. Full length book because there there was the uh, Cinema Shares little comic book promo handed out during the uh, Godzilla vs. Megalon mm-hmm. the but, year you know, prior. That that that's a promo. We're not we're not counting that. We're counting like we got twenty pages, a beautiful art, a couple a letter section. We got uh, a few ads in there for uh, for Hostess Pies. Oh, it's good times. <laughs> yes. So, and for the, for the longest time, too, I think the, uh, the back page ad of uh, Rick Barry and Dr. J presents Spalding Basketballs. Oh, God, yeah. When, so, <laughs> when, someone brought up Dr. J one time when I was like eight years old, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. And they looked at me and was like, how the hell did you do know that guy? He was he, he was playing when you weren't even born. I'm like, he was in the back of all my Godzilla comics. They're like, what? And I showed him, like, oh, okay. So thus began my uh, my quest of trivial knowledge, even as a young age. Oh, know. I have I have older comic books than that with uh, O.J. Simpson for Dingo Boots. Oh, I've, oh, those! If you've not seen those ads, they are something to behold. <laughs> oh, they are a sight to see. <laughs> well, we digress. Yes, we digress. We're gonna. It's all. This is all Marvel all day on this episode, so strap in. If you've never read the Godzilla Marvel comics, I believe you could still pick up the trade. There is a collected edition, but it, the sad thing is it's only in black and white. Uh, other than that, you're going to have to go hunt down the uh, the books, which Mark and I were just uh, reminiscing about how for the longest time, they were, they, were, they were the dime bin books for the longest time. And then over the we would say the last like five to ten years they've uh, steadily climbed in price. Yeah, especially when you know once uh, you know the the legendary film started gaining steam, mm-hmm. and they went into production with that, and interest you know uh, started shooting up again. No, but even after the price really didn't start peaking up until you know the TriStar film back in '98. That's when it started. That's when uh, you started seeing them being priced out of the dollar bins. Yeah. Because for the longest time, you know, if you had 20, 25 bucks, you could get the whole collection. Okay. But 
Well, the first issue would go for like ten bucks. Yeah. Now the first issue you can find it, it's like you know fifty bucks, sixty bucks. I got a few of those sitting around here somewhere. I got like three issue ones sitting around here oh, somewhere. I, anyway, I have about I think about four or five. Uh, but in in behind one of them is my original mm. that my, that my mother gave me when the book was first released back in 1977. It is beat to crap and mm. it is well worn and well loved. But, but that's the one with all the sentimental value to it, though. That's yes. that's that's the one you know. I got the same one. Mine, I when I was a kid, like when the the spine was starting to wear, I put a little tape on there to hold it together. So it's got, it's got a lot of that old yellowed Scotch tape. Yep, yep. I got I got one that is I, it's in my box back here. I got two of them floating around here. though. one of them has got uh, Herb Trempe's autograph on it. I managed to get it before uh, his untimely passing, which we'll go into. I mean, well, not his past, but we'll go into the man in, in a little bit because very much a large part. The, the the there was a heart and a soul of that book. He definitely was the soul of that book. So, um, but for those, real quick, Mark, let, for those who let, let's just play coy here. There might be a, there might be a whole generation out there who have never read these books, who don't know the magic and wonder of the Marvel run of Godzilla. I think a lot. I think a lot of the younger uh, generation, they're aware of it. Mm-hmm. They know Godzilla did exist in the Marvel universe, uh, thanks mostly in part to the Avengers. Yes. Now that the Avengers are mainstream, you know, because of the MCU, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's a curiosity. What Godzilla fought the Avengers? Yes, he did. Yes, he did, and it was canon too. Yeah, it was canon. He mm-hmm. fought the Fantastic Four. He fought the Avengers. He fought the Champions. Mm-hmm. Uh. He fought Devil Dinosaur, which I never thought I'd see. It's like, how could that happen? Godzilla's so much bigger. Well, they managed it. They managed to do it. And it was part of this great story arc, which is so much like the whole Tokusatsu and Kaiju genre. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so uh, maligned and misunderstood. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was a genius story arc because it, it, it set into whole motion. It set into whole motion... Uh, Godzilla's appearance in New York and his whole in his battles with all the major Marvel heroes at the time. It was it well it, it was a well, but we're talking about the climax. We're I think we're getting we're getting yeah, ahead we of our, we're getting ahead of ourselves here. So uh, pretty pretty much. So for those who don't who have never read the book, we're gonna kind of we'll we'll you know for those who have I, I I know there's a there's a million of you out there who are listening to this who know this, but for let, let's just you know real quick go over it. The base story is we start with Godzilla appearing in Alaska after years of being in isolation in an iceberg. So very similar to his uh, his entombment at the end of Raids again to his uh, to his escape in King Kong versus Godzilla. And pretty much from there we get into one giant roller coaster of a story that pretty much traverses the entire United States and then goes into outer space and then at times. Back in time as well. Like, no stone was left unturned for this series. Um, at first, it plays pretty much as a straightforward, you know, giant monster uh, epic. The first issue pretty much is Godzilla appears. And who is put in charge of taking care of it, uh, uh, Mark? Shield. Shield. <laughs> and uh, Nick Fury shows up for two panels, I think. <coughs> playing, playing, playing the pilot... <laughs> For our uh, scientist, our, our 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 we the the token Japanese science characters that are always needed for these stories, yes. and then the rest of the book 
the the whole Godzilla operation is put in charge of who? Dub Dub Dugan. Of the, formerly of the Howling Commandos, of Nick Fury's Howling Commandos. Mm-hmm. And also Gabe, former trumpeter and uh, <laughs> lieutenant, or I think he was a lieutenant at the time. And, uh, yes, it's... <laughs> Dugan is chomping on a cigarette, and he pretty much, it's... Uh, he You know what, they almost played him up almost like a J. Jonah Jameson uh, archetype in this whole story, very, too. Very much so. Yeah, because he's constantly yelling... He's constantly chomping on the scar, and it's always falling out of his mouth, and he's always made to look like an ass by the end of the issue, too. <laughs> yeah, that, that pretty much was, like, the, the first, like, couple of issues. Mm-hmm. So, pretty much, the, you know, the, up to... The, issue 3 is where we first get our real taste of Godzilla in the Marvel Universe. So, after he goes on a rampage in Seattle, he shows up in San Francisco, which... Seemed to be like that the first time of what would be many attempts to get Godzilla in uh, in uh, the Bay Area, and he takes on his first uh, his first uh, Marvel heroes, his first quartet of Marvel uh, Marvel superheroes, which were at the time the champions. So yes. it was Hercules, Black Widow, Angel, and Iceman, and back then, yes, that comprised a team. Because in the 70s, it was all about, like, who do we got laying around? We can make some hodgepodge team back then. Yeah, because they, they wanted uh, a team uh, to be uh, stationed in Los Angeles. So the back then, the champions were the, uh, the West Coast's only real superhero team. So mm-hmm. a bunch of second stringers. But also, uh, you're forgetting also Darkstar and Ghost Rider. Were members. That's true. And, but, but they weren't, they, weren't, they, didn't, they didn't show up in the... Yeah. They were, I would have loved to have seen the Ghost Rider involved. Oh. Fight against Godzilla. That was the thing that always kind of like looking back on those. There's a there there were a few missed opportunities with certain characters that irked me. Like knowing that Ghost Rider could have fought Godzilla at one point. Just I'm like, why why didn't you do that? It could have been the coolest thing in the world. Exactly. Or, you know, maybe that's why they didn't do it. Like, oh, it would, it would have made things I don't know too mystical or something. Or what one could argue, well, oh, Ghost Rider could have just. Godzilla with his hellfire and ended everything. And, True. You know. I don't, but I don't know if Godzilla could, if the pen and stare could actually work on Godzilla or not. Well, well that, that was the Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider. Uh, back then, uh, the, the whole pen and stare thing was invented for Dan Ketch Ghost Rider. Oh, was back, it? The, the Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, especially in the 70s, only had his hellfire. Ah, uh, okay. His hellfire would, would uh, sear your soul. Yeah, the pendant stare was invented for the Dan Ketch Ghost Rider in the early '90s. I have learned something. I I, I, I always thought that Ketch had the pendant stare as well, or uh, that Blaze had the pendant stare. So it did just later, but originally, no. If you read the original run of Ghost Rider, there was no such thing as a pendant stare. Yeah, interesting. So, and uh, we got our first real awesome like moment too when Hercu- when Godzilla tries to step on Hercules. Yes, and he stops him in. As as a demigod would do, literally pushes Godzilla off of him and flips him over onto the Golden Gate Bridge. Yes, <laughs> all d- all drawn beautifully by Herb Trempy too. Like that whole the the issue threes were really they set the tone of like this is going to be a fun book and we're we're having we're having a great adventure on this. So and the, it's it's all serialized too. They're telling one giant continuous story. There's it's not like. 
a lot of the other books out there at the time where it's just like, yeah, we here's this arc, and then we're going to move on to another arc. It's like, no, we're it's we're not stopping until they tell us that we got to quit. So, as a kid, mm-hmm. when I got to receive the first issue, number one, I was disappointed to see, oh my god, it continues. Damn it! Yeah. I got to play more. I wanted a self-contained story. Yeah. And quickly, I need. I just need to tell this story because it's. Go ahead. The, the Marvel Godzilla comic, you know, for as much crap as it gets from a lot of fans, mm-hmm. it means a lot to me. It's it's something that's one of my favorite Godzilla things. Um, it could because uh, I have to admit, it has a huge sentimental value to me. Mm-hmm. You know, much like Godzilla, Godzilla versus Megalon and Godzilla's Revenge, huge sentimental value for me. Mm-hmm. But but especially the Marvel comic book. You know, for two years, I would stock the 7-Elevens and could not wait until the next issue came out. And uh, I remember the day. I remember the day. I, I spent the night. It was 1977, and I had spent the night at my cousin's house, and I came back. And my parents were getting ready to go out to dinner or something with family or friends. And my mother told me, oh, Mark, she's like, I got you something at the store. And I said, oh, what is it? And, you know, I, I would, you know, <laughs> I was a pretty simple kid. I thought, hey, a candy bar or something. And she tells me, oh, it's, it's here. It's underneath my, uh, underneath that blouse there folded on the, on the bed. And I pick up the blouse and I will never forget this moment, seeing the cover of Godzilla number one. That's a you know it's a faint it's a now famous image of the Herb Trippy drawn Godzilla with a bridge in his hand, <laughs> uh, you know walking, looking over his shoulder, shooting flames at some buildings, stomping another building, and people were in the foreground running away in terror. And I just studied that that cover and just and and opening opening the the first page. That's one of the greatest splash pages. One of the greatest splash pages. When he's just leaping out at you, like just yeah. and because he in that particular drawing, if you look at it, he really resembles a cross between the the '67 costume and the Destroy All Monsters costume. Mm-hmm. I think, for, especially for that first panel, I think Trimpy took great care to make him actually appear as the Toho Godzilla. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, as the series progressed, and even as that that book alone progressed, he appeared vastly, wildly different. Oh, yeah. From- like his arm shrank, his uh, his head got bigger. Like yeah, or- he, he took he he he, t- he settled into his own thing. Like it, it very God, the Trumpy pretty much settled Godzilla into like this is the Marvel version. It it you know we'll make it the Marvel version after a while. That's what it seemed like. It, it, it turned into, yeah, and, and actually, yeah. I mean, and, and as the the series continued on, you know, Trimpy kind of settled into like a kind of pear shaped, pot bellied, with thin limbs version of Godzilla mm. that was very reminiscent of the Hanna Barbera Godzilla, which was that was that out at that point yet? Was it was out around the same time? Okay, and uh, I, I think that the comic book came out first. Then the, the Hanna Barbera came out like about a year later, but um, but in that first issue, especially, um, great care was drawn with 
great care was taken with each panel to make him seem like a huge monster and, uh, you know, and, and terrifying. You know, there was nothing cute about that first issue. Oh, no. He, he appeared and he just trashes the last of the pipeline in an oil field and nothing. You know, they send, like, these super weapons against him and they do nothing. In many he, in many ways, it kind of it, it kind of mirrored the first film. Yeah, yeah. And ironically, how the series would progress right after that too, like yeah. serious, <laughs> and then turned into kind of a campy uh, adventure story after a while. Yeah. And the uh, yeah, except the first issue, like you said, Nick Fury appears. He's he's escorting uh, experts from Japan. Who have a, a secret weapon to help defeat Godzilla? Mm-hmm. We're introduced to the recurring Japanese Japanese characters of Doctor. I think his name was Yuriko Takiguchi. Mm-hmm. It's funny because Yuriko, I believe, is a, a woman's name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a uh, uh, Tamara, with his, his assistant, and then uh, young Rob Takiguchi, the Doctor's grandson, who figures very significantly in later issues. Oh well, yes, because uh, a he he very much plays well. He's very much uh, if you really look back on that character, he's very much the gamma archetype. <coughs> excuse me, archetype of uh, of child character who he, he just sees Godzilla as a misunderstood monster that uh, you know should just be left alone. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, in his uh, in his vain attempts to get the adults to to um, to pay attention. Uh, he can he he takes hold, of which it turns into a giant, a loving tribute to I I would say more Johnny Sacco and his flying robot at this point. Yeah, but although although the design was clearly based on the super robots, so like Gonagai, and so you know, if you look at the, a lot of the the traits of Red Ronin, mm-hmm. the giant robot controlled by Rob, mm-hmm. uh, it's the same traits as as uh, Radine. He has the shield with the laser sword. He has the same type of shogun uh, armor uh, helmet, and you know a lot of the same weapons. You know, it, it's it was kind of like a, they adapted Radine into an original character. I wouldn't doubt that that probably would have been that might have been something because they did have shogun warriors around the same time, didn't they? Yeah, from the same creative team. Yes, so I, was scripted by Doug Munch. Yes. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't doubt that they probably approached them like, ah, the, the, this is a uh, kind of a licensing, you know, nightmare right here. So why don't you add your own little spin to it? Which yeah. and, and we and it's again we were uh, before we we started recording. Trippy in the seventies, man, did a goddamn great job of adapting that go in a guy look. Yes. Like anybody else would have just really overly simplified it, or I mean, you didn't see. Like mech designs at all, like that in American comic books. Like, like you know, you either had your little more kind of like uh, smoother Jack Kirby style, like robot looks, or something completely off the wall. Like Red Ronin, very much is of that, of uh, very much seventies go, as you said, go guy style robot. And it, you know, you have to give it to to, to Herbie. He was, he was almost a little ahead of his time with that kind of stuff. Nowadays, it's everywhere. I mean, shit, you throw a rock and, you know, you get something like that. And sadly, we've kind of also moved away from that 
a little more simplified design where all of our mechs are a lot more overtly complicated. Um, I'm not a huge fan of that look. I like I might, that's why I was a bigger that's why I was a huge fan of the Jaegers uh, designs, especially Gypsy Danger, because it very much harkened back to that lot more simplified humanoid design. Yeah, they they, re, they reject they rejected that really busy uh, movie Transformers look, which I despise. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of the, especially with a lot with uh, there, there's some there's some really poorly designed mechs out there, even in uh, uh, anime today. Which I'm just I kind of shake my head. It's like it's you're you're too busy here. Like with it, go in the guy, hit it hit it on the head. Less is more. Less is yeah. definitely more. Like you don't need to see the inner workings of everything. Armor humanoid works. So and yeah. uh, that was the case. A lot of the, of the super robots designs back then. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, good. I mean, it's good luck. Gonda guy was pretty. He was the guy that started that whole pretty much that. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say started because I would. Uh, was it uh, te- uh, Gigantor Titian Twenty? Pretty much was yeah. the, the start of it. We said who? Uh, I forgot his last name. Yeah, who invented uh, Tetsujin Twenty Eight and, uh, and and of course Giant Robo. Mm-hmm. But uh, the guy pretty much. You know, you know what he was. The guy was to uh, to giant robots what the Sopranos was to the uh, the mob uh, genre. Everybody, <laughs> they were around. Everybody liked them. Everyone liked the Godfather, but something about the Sopranos spoke to people a lot more and kind of really shot them, you know, into that uh, it, that that genre into like the the, the stars. And that's what <laughs> the guy did with uh, Mazinger and and nine million other creations that he created. He came up with too. So, uh, so yeah, we got Red Ronin, awesome, and then we move on with a grand adventure of Godzilla, pretty much on a, a cross-country tour. He finally fights some av- other monsters uh, before that, though. Uh, yeah, in the very next issue, in issues four and five, was our first two-part story, mm-hmm. where uh, Godzilla uh, ventures into the Aleutian Islands and stumbles upon the secret base of uh, Dr. Demonicus. And uh, Dr. Demonicus is a supervillain who's genetically engineering giant monsters out of uh, common, not common, but, you know, regular animals. Mm. Uh, for example, uh, in the, be- the beginning of the book has a gigantic oil tanker being capsized and destroyed by a, a gigantic golden dragon. <laughs> Which again, uh, another awesome fucking splash. Which is named. Which is named. So, Batragon is a cross between a bat and a Komodo dragon. Mm -hmm. But especially on the, if you look at the cover of that issue number four, it damn if it doesn't look like a single-headed King Ghidra. Yeah. And uh, so it's clearly, I think, it was influenced by King Ghidra. Mm -hmm. And then there's also. and held in a crater with a, a laser grid over it, keeping them in, are a couple of other his creations. There's a giant moth. Mm-hmm. I think that's an obvious uh, nod to something. <laughs> I think Leparax. Mm-hmm. Then the poor is a giant worm. Mm-hmm. Or caterpillar. And uh, then there's another one. I forgot his name. He's like a multi-legged creature, which actually, uh, when you when you think about it, looks a lot like that multi-legged creature in the legendary... Uh, Godzilla teaser trailer. Yes, the uh, the the centipede looking thing. Yeah, with the Oppenheimer overdub. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so those are a number of creatures. And um, 
The interesting thing about that little story arc is that uh, issues four and five were the only issues in the series that were not drawn by Herb Trimpey. The art was handled by uh, Tom Sutton, who, for comic book fans, you know Tom Sutton. He was uh, mainly uh, popular for all of his horror comics that he worked on, uh, especially for DC Comics. Uh, uh, he also worked in Marvel, but uh, but DC, he, he really... Uh, DC and Charlton comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did a lot of horror titles. And uh, one interesting little fact concerning Tom Sutton is that there's an uh, issue he did for Charlton, uh, a book called Monster Hunters. And one of the one of the uh, covers featured a giant octopus or squid, some kind of cephalopod, attacking a ship. And... Be damned if that giant cephalopod doesn't look like a Gizora. <laughs> Let me see if I can find that here. <clears throat> yeah, because yeah, I'm looking at his uh, Wikipedia right now. Yeah, so and he he also drew the first Vampirella story as well. So, well, it worked for yeah. So pretty much he was that. Uh, kind of missed it. I you know, there there is there is something. I, I, this whole genre of like monster stuff, like we've kind of lost it to the ages. <sighs> Makes me a little wistful. Makes me a little wistful. But uh, we digress. So uh, back to the adventure. So after Godzilla has his first big duel, I then believe uh, that's when Red Ronin steps in. We have a two-part fight with him. Uh, then Godzilla goes to the Grand Canyon after he destroys Las Vegas, and. This is, I, especially for you, this should be a particular uh, interest. Uh, for those who don't know, Mark is also a very large Bigfoot aficionado. Bigfoot's all in general. Yes. But uh, I've, I've been able to go to uh, Bigfoot stopping grounds and the living so close to it. Because mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, I did hear you mention me on another podcast in which I was not present, but... Uh, Jessica was saying, oh, Mark's more into Bigfoot than Loch Ness Monster. No, I'm into Loch Ness Monster, Mokele Bavimbi, and all that stuff, but I I just have to go around the world to actually go visit those places. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, for me, Bluff Creek is a 10-hour drive. Yeah. Loch Ness is a $5,000 flight to Scotland. (laughs) But that's that's in the works for next year. Loch Loch Ness and Loch Morar. Ooh. I will give my report once I... uh, Go to those places. Do so. It's uh, quite interesting. That's uh, the thing with the lock. It's uh, connects to the ocean, so yes. leads a lot of possibilities. <laughs> <clears throat> but uh, who does Godzilla? God, we get our our next giant monster fight in this. Uh, Yetrigar. Yetrigar, a giant mutated Bigfoot, and uh, pretty much Godzilla and, and Yetrigar throw down in the uh, the Grand Canyon, which is the, the other thing too. They great use of of scenery. Like, they just... It, it seems like, what, what can we do? Let's have Godzilla fight in the Grand Canyon. Sounds awesome. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. Those early issues are just amazing. Like, uh, like let's just put him in these you know, iconic uh, areas and see what the damage he can do. Well, I mean, like, the second issue has him destroying the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the tower in uh, Seattle. Uh, issue nine... Then the issue right before that is, uh, Believe it's literally him on a wave as uh, he's destroying Las Vegas. Yeah, because he destroys Hoover Dam. Mm-hmm. 
And he's so he's washed the city from the flood of Hoover Dam. And then uh, then he's uh, then now he's fighting uh, which two great great uh, the covers for these things are fantastic. I, yes, like each each cover is iconic in its own way. Like it's again another thing with comics, the art of the cover is almost lost. Yeah, like much like how the art of the movie poster has gone has gone away, the art of the cover too for a lot of comics is is almost next to nothing. It's very a lot of things are very static. Like if you talk about that original first issue, it, it hits your mind because there's there's a dynamic look to it. Like Stan Lee had famously said there was a Marvel look. We had a certain way of doing things, and the way Trippy drew all these covers very much was in that style. Like. Yeah. And you mentioned that in the cover to number one. That is a very... That, that's one of the most popular images of Godzilla there is. I mean, you know, you see it incorporated in so many things. You know, not so much now, but especially back then in the mm-hmm. 70s and 80s and even in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you saw it used, incorporated on the... Uh, let's see. That, uh, that record... With the audio stories back in the seventies, yes, cover, and also the cassette and CD reissues in the in the nineties, late nineties, mm-hmm. used the same artwork, and then uh, also uh, Trimby's and Sutton's art was incorporated in in the uh, Viewmaster reels of Godzilla of, of Godzilla story, and they used they used a, a modified version of the number one uh, art for the cover of the. Uh, uh, of the Viewmaster pack, and uh, and then also the <clears throat> back in the day, Marvel had like a little corner box that would feature the, you know, the characters in whatever book you were reading, and the one the little her trippy drawing they used for Godzilla was adapted from um, uh, a panel in the first issue, and uh, that drawing has appeared. I think even to this day, in quite a few, um, you, know, you know, quite a quite a few products. For the longest time, even Bandai used it as on their official seal yeah. for official products. Yeah, I remember I bringing think, that up I to Herb Trimpey when I met when I met him, mm-hmm. and I told him, you know, yeah, they've used her design for the official product seal. I said, uh, you didn't see any, uh, <laughs> you didn't see any residuals from that, did you? <laughs> and he looked, he looked at me and smiled and said. That would have been nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it would have been real nice. I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out, because uh, the... Um, That's age. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm looking at uh, my, my my trade right here in front of me. Yeah, it's... in. Yeah, Toho still uses that damn stamp. Yep. That stamp is still on everything Toho does, so... Anything that's officially Godzilla has that stamp. I'm sh- Again, I'm, I'm shocked as hell that they... That they uh, uh, they took that, and that—that's what they went with. But uh, it, it, it's iconic; like everybody knows it. And I'm look—I'm looking at the um, the cover to the trade. It's touched up. I don't know. I'm—I want to find the artist who touched this up because it's definitely Trempy's art, but it's tweaked. There's a lot of tweaking going on to this. It's yeah. Been, it obviously been recolored too, so I, I know that has a lot to do with it. But like the faces on the uh, the people running in terror are, are very different too. So. Yeah, no one, it, I see no name though. Yeah, there's a lot of that new computer coloring that looks shading and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I wanted. To, we're on number ten and eleven, uh, mm-hmm. the whole Yetar storyline, 
And uh, once again, I'd like to inject just a little personal story. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, number 10. I picked that up at the 7-Eleven, mm-hmm. like, I, like I usually did. Uh, but for years, though, before I bought a, uh, a replacement copy, my copy of uh, Godzilla number 10 had a had a big square cut out of one of the middle pages. I cut it out myself because it was a coupon to join the Star Wars fan club, which was which was brand new at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I remember flipping that out because I, I think uh, I wasn't I wasn't aware of the concept of photocopiers back then. No. <laughs> and uh, so I actually clipped out the actual coupon from the book and sent it in and joined the Star Wars fan club. And I still have a lot of my issues of Bantha tracks mm-hmm. and the uh, a lot of the packet they orig- they sent me they sent me a eight by ten photo and a little. Uh, you know, two by three wallet size photo of Luke Skywalker in his X-wing outfit, and I have a lot of that stuff. And I, st- I in fact, I still have it. It's right here in front of me. My Star Wars fan club membership card. I am member. I am member number one zero nine six five. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Considering <laughs> how many people are probably in that th- joined that thing when it came out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember I was excited to see that. Oh, Star Wars fan club! I have to join this. <laughs> <laughs> I well, just sent him six dollars, and yeah. hell of a summer though. May you get Star Wars, and then August you get this. So yeah, it, 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 what a time to be alive! Summer seventy seven. It's uh, as as Adam. Well, I'm not. You know, I'm not gonna. That's 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 too. It's too raunchous for this right now. <laughs> um. But, uh, so yeah, so we get Godzilla and Yetigar and Red Ronin in a triple threat. And then, uh, from there, we get the... Huge story. Yes. This is the three, that, that's the three, three chapter one, right? The three issue chapter? Oh. Where, where Godzilla heads into space. Mm-hmm. With, uh, to be, it, very much also, out of, out of Monster Zero, another nice nod another wonderful nod where Godzilla is pitted against uh was it the beta beast right I believe it was the beta beast it was the beta beast from the yeah because the, the race of alien, aliens known as the betans mm-hmm. uh pulled Godzilla into space with their ray mm-hmm. now you see Godzilla flying through space as one is tend to do which is the cover which is awesome which is which is just like monster zero mm-hmm he, uh, Godzilla is put on the moon, surrounded by uh, uh, an invisible shield, which allows him to breathe. And he's pitted against their top monster, Gladiator, mm-hmm. the Beta Beast. And Godzilla dispatches the Beta Beast easily. And uh, they were basically testing Godzilla to use him as a weapon against the Megans, which is which are an enemy race of theirs. And of course, the Megans have their own monsters. Which of course are the mega monsters, Triax, Ryan, and Krolar. Mm-hmm. and uh, they send the three monsters to attack Earth, and they land straight in the strategic target of Salt Lake City. <laughs> and of course, the uh, the Badens send Godzilla in, you know, to fight them. Yes, they're using them basically using the monsters as pawns. Mm-hmm. You know, as avatars for their own uh, armies and such. 
And uh, so an impressive, epic battle happens in Salt Lake City between the three mega monsters versus Godzilla. Probably the most action that city has seen ever, too. Yes. And, of course, (laughs) just when all seems lost, Red Ronin shows up. Mm Mm-hmm. And helps Godzilla to fight the monsters because he knows, you know, Godzilla needs help here. There's three of these things. Mm-hmm. And during the course of the battle, Ren Rodin is decapitated by uh, Ryan. He, uh, Ryan has a uh, like a trident tail, which spins around like a helicopter, like helicopter blades. Oh, it's a wet. It, it look, you know what? You know what it looks like? It looks like if the uh, Enterprise was given life. As a giant monster. Yes, yeah, because he has this big flat disc-like head and mm-hmm. these uh, Gigan-like arms. Yes, with the the sights on them. Yeah, and then of course the, the aforementioned propeller, which are called anterior bio blades. Mm-hmm. And then of course Krolar is a centipede-like monster with a horn on its snout. It looks like the thing from the Herculoids. Yes, yeah, and then uh, Triax is looks like a large uh, rhinoceros turtle with uh, snail eyes. Oh, wonderful! It, it, it's all beautiful. It is all beautiful too. Like you need, to, you really need to read these if you've never seen them. It's fantastic, and that's <laughs> where, as you said, Red Ronin meets his unfortunate end. Even though, uh, uh, it's Robert, right? The the kid. Yeah. Yes. It survives miraculously <laughs> from his giant robot getting decapitated, and after Godzilla is successful moves on to the great state of Colorado where he interrupts cattle rustlers. Yes. That was the most interesting turn, I thought. Yeah. Fighting giant space monsters and giant Bigfoot, and, you know, all of a sudden, he's versus a bunch of uh, Yahoo cowboys in the canyons of uh, Colorado or wherever the hell they are This also has Godzilla eating trees as he's grazing on the great fields of Colorado, too. (laughs) And he's inadvertently blamed for the, the missing cattle. Mm-hmm. And, and it was this issue, I think it was right here, where Treffy really settled onto the design of the of Godzilla. That's where he really got the pot belly. The arms yeah. were really shrunk at this point. The head was oversized. He never changed the eyes, though. It was, I always loved the 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 choice of doing the, the red with the black in them. Yes. Like, just, like, the, it was like a Kirby... Uh, a Kirby-esque uh, burst. If you ever see how Jack Kirby draws his stuff, he always has. There's always an energy aura inside of the energy ball. So he always drew. There, it was like a Rorschach painting, always going on in all of his stuff. And Trumpy added that to the eyes. He never had pupils. It was always yes. red and black, and they were never quite like like focused. There was always something going on. They were always shining too. It's basically a ruby version of what would end up in GMK years later. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, with the uh, the with the uh, a white lipless eyes. Yeah, again, another aesthetic choice I always liked. I, you know, look, we're we're talking about giant monsters here, make believe. We can have we can you can have some artistic liberties with them. I always, and that was one of the ones I always liked. Really made so, it look evil as hell. You know, quickly uh, before we go uh, continue on, mm-hmm. you know, I- issue number uh, fourteen, I believe it was. Uh, uh, the last issue featuring the Mega Monsters, because mm-hmm. uh, it was the issue before at the end. That was the, that was the climax when uh, Red Ronin was uh, was uh, decapitated oh, by Ryan. Right. Yeah, 
And that's the last we see of Red Ronin in the Godzilla series. However, Red Ronin is a character which still you still see to this day. Mm-hmm. He's he's figured in a lot of uh, a lot of Marvel books. Uh, Avengers, I think one ninety eight one or ninety eight and ninety nine. Yep. Uh, Red Ronin appeared, and he's uh, uh he's hijacked. He, yeah, he's had yeah he's repaired and hijacked by a guy named Earl Cohen, and. Uh, who wants to start? Who wants to use uh, Red Ronin to attack Russia and start World War Three, thinking it will bring about world peace? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and the, the, that Red Ronin is drawn beautifully by George Perez. Ooh, <clears throat> George Perez! Wow, I didn't I didn't realize that. Huh. And uh, then, of course, I think in later in. I think it's what Secret Invasion or one of those books. Civil Earth War. <laughs> when uh, Tony Stark, there's one of the, the alternate Marvel. Oh Earth. no, you, no, no, no! I know. Oh yeah, no, you're talking about Earth X. Earth X. The, yeah. The Earth uh, for 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 a for Chris in high school senior year, I hadn't really been reading comic books for a while. I kind of fell out of them for a while. I had uh, a good friend named Fatto, the craziest little Vietnamese guy you'll ever meet. Uh, he was super big in the comics, and like I knew, I had all, I knew, all, I knew my history, I knew everything, but I hadn't been reading in a while. And he's like, "Hey, uh, I got these two books you should read." I'm like, and that's exactly how I talked. I'm like, "Sure, fat, bring them." So the first book he brought, sat down, put put on my desk. You need to read this first. It was Earth X. I'm like, okay. The second book he put down was Watchmen, and at that point, I'd never read Watchmen before. So he's like, read these two, come back to me, let me know what you think. So I went home, I read Earth X, and uh, when they reveal that Tony Stark had been living, because in the in the it's an alternate universe, it's drawn by, um, it was, uh, uh, um, oh god, what's his name? Um, he does all the DC stuff, The Kingdom Come. Um, Alex Ross? Alex Ross, yes. So this was Alex Ross's version of uh, Kingdom Come for Marvel. So, pretty much in this universe, it's what they're doing in Marvel now, where the Ter- where the Terrigan Mists pretty much disperse, turning everybody into a superhuman. Now, you know they've set they've set other rules why everybody can't be an inhuman, but in this world, everybody is a superhero. It's it's almost that like when everyone's super, nobody is. <clears throat> so, Tony, knowing this was coming, locked himself inside of a of a bunker you 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 know you think at first because he was afraid of what he would become if exposed to these mists like he was afraid he'd become too powerful so he actually becomes a very a very much like a um um a, a Howard Hughes style uh you know re, recluse living in this thing big long beard fingernails all that stuff and the basis of the story is that the celestials are showing up on earth because it turns out that how the Celestials reproduce is they put what they call the Celestial Seed in a planet's core, and the newborn Celestial feeds off the Earth that planet's energy until it's born, when, which it, when it does, it destroys the planet. And uh, <clears throat> so they find all the heroes find this out, the Celestials show up, they all have to team up, and when the chips are down, coming out of his hideout, is Tony Stark in Red Ronin. And Red Ronin has seen better days. Like, he's 
kind of half put together, but it's there. He's got the shield, he's got the helmet, it's all there. And it was one of the, like, that immediately hooked me back in. I'm like, oh my god, they're, I can't believe they're using Red Ronin. <coughs> and, now mind you, I'm not going to ruin anything, but they have, one of the, they call in Galactus to help fight the Celestials, because he's the Celestial's, uh, predator, as they put it, like he's the re- his reasoning for feeding on on planets is because he actually finds planets with celestial seeds in them, and that's what he feeds on. So they have galactic. It's one of the greatest splash pages of of all time when Reed has to call Galactus, and Galactus shows up. He's with the Silver Surfer, and he's mind you, Galactus is huge, but the Celestials are even bigger. There's a wonderful splash of, of like four Celestials looking down on Galactus. And he is looking up at them with just the most heinous, hate-filled eyes. Like, he's ready to throw down. It is one of the greatest things I've ever seen drawn on paper. Um, and mind you, the, the destroyed ruins of Red Ronin are behind him. Oh, it's so awesome. If, if you read this book for anything, it's the last chapter. You need to read it for that. Um... And real quick to add to that, in uh, there was an X-Men book called Exiles, where it's pretty much the concept is sliders, but with mutants. So they go to this group of mutants, pretty much led by a good Sabretooth, Blink, and a couple of other like alternate universe X-Men. They go from pl- universe to universe fixing things. And in one universe, they go to a planet where Tony Stark... Uh, uh, Bolivia Trask and one other super scientist. I want to say it was Amadeus Cho. They are part of a sent like a Sentai style Earth Defense Force team. Where uh, in this world, mon- giant monsters exist, and they pilot Red Ronin in order to combat uh, the monsters that that aren't part of what they call the 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 natural cycle. Of things there's earth there's like nature made monsters and then there are human made monsters so the episode pretty the 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 issue focuses on red Ronin uh the exiles team trying to get fing fang foom to fight Krakoa and they have to go convince they have to use red Ronin to convince fing fang foom to go beat up Krakoa it's awesome it's two issues you should it, and both covers have red Ronin on them too so it'd be another thing to go check them out so it's, it's one of those Nice things that, you know, a, a writer occasionally be like, you know what, we, do, we have this, do we still have the rights to this? Yeah, okay, let's, let's put this in there. Brian Michael Bendis loves doing that stuff. He loves using obscurity, obs- really obscure characters, and putting them in, like into the forefront like that. So, Back when <laughs> comics were good, Mark. Back when comics were good. Yes. So, I digress. I'm excited. <laughs> so, yeah, and... No, and let's digress some more. While we're talking about Red Ronin, yes. let's uh, once again mention something that existed at the same time as this series, which was the Shogun Warriors series. Ah, good segue. By, by the same creative team. Mm-hmm. Everybody doing the art, <laughs> Doug Munch doing the, uh, the storylines, and uh, the Shogun Warriors book lasted 20 issues, as compared to Godzilla's 26 issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Shogun Warriors were, of course, were based on some of the Japanese super robots from the from the various uh, manga and uh, anime at the time and uh, toys. And uh, but 
they took various properties and just put them together as a team of three. We had uh, Brave Raiding, then Dangard Ace, and then Combatra. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, which there were toys of these things in America at the time. Because Mattel had uh, released their Shogun Warriors, <laughs> which was their uh, domestic releases of the Jumbo Machinder line. Mm-hmm. And also they had the small metal versions too and some of the transformable ones. So Mattel had the whole line of Shogun Warriors. So this, this was kind of a tie-in uh, with that. Because there was even an ad in a couple of issues that you and I were talking about before mm-hmm. we recorded that was actually drawn by Herb Trippi. Uh Back then, of course, comics did have mail-away ads. Like, oh, mail-away for this pet monkey or sea monkeys or you know, stuff like that. <laughs> 3D glasses. Glasses. Or, yeah. Uh, and this ad, you could order some of the Shogun Warriors toys. And uh, if you did, you got uh, you could get this free Shogun Warriors iron-on, which is basically a uh, drawing by Herb Trippi with the Shogun Warriors logo with uh, the heads of, like, Mazinga, Guy King, you no know, Shogun Warriors that were part of the, of the toy line, but weren't in the book. Yeah. But you're, so you're seeing chimpy uh, versions of these characters. But then on the bottom, the, the robot heads were on the top of the logo. But then situation, situated on the bottom of the logo was an obviously chimpy Godzilla and a chimpy Rodan head. Because, you know, so, uh, Mattel did release a Rodan, quote-unquote, Shogun mm-hmm. warrior, the, the full-size Jumbo Machinder size, uh, but under the moniker of uh, World's Greatest Monsters. Yes. and uh, But it was basically a Shogun. Cause it was sold with the Shoguns, it was advertised with the Shoguns. Uh, and this is a highly sought-after piece because this was never released in Japan. This was America only. Mm-hmm. And uh, compared to the American uh, version of the Godzilla, Jumbo Machinder, um, the Rodan was pretty damn faithful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it looks very much... It's just for the the swan neck, if you will, which is an aspect for the toy. But, yes. yeah, he, he's he got he's everything. He's got the spikes, he's got the spike chest, he's got the horns, it, he's spot on. Even the coloring's right, too. Yes, Right. And uh, anyway, he's represented in that iron-on. He has kind of a long neck, but uh, it's obviously the Shogun Rodan. So that's the only drawing in which Trimpy drew other Shogun Warriors in addition to a Rodan with his version of Godzilla. I wonder if if anybody's got that iron-on out there still, like unmolested. I've never seen an example of it. I've only seen the ad. So if if so if one was produced, was it did it look exactly like that drawing or was it another version of it? Mm-hmm. I've never seen a specimen produced, so because yeah, not... that drawing would not necessarily be used for the actual drawing because it looks like he just drew that whole ad and then could yeah. have done a facsimile, but it would have not been exa- you know quite the same. If yeah, you will. yeah, it would have been you know just like you know sea monkeys weren't little humanoid things with crowns on their heads. <laughs> no, no, they're. <laughs> Brian Shrimp. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but I've never seen a specimen because, you know, wh- when I was collecting Godzilla stuff, my forte was, you know, of course I love the Bandai figures and all that stuff, but 
I, even to this day, I love the weird oddball stuff, the old promotional stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, it took me years to uh, collect a complete set of White Castle Godzilla Premium toys and cups. And, uh, yeah, but this, this would be one of those really oddball pieces that, uh, you know, and I've, on all my years of collecting, I've never seen an example of it. And they might have never even gotten out. I mean, true. That, that's true. It might have been something they were planning, but they never actually made. It happens all the time. So, <clears throat> as you know, when the, when you didn't have the instant reviews of the internet, and they didn't have to be totally accountable for what they did. No, it's like we got your ten bucks. That's you got your money. Yeah. After a while, it's like it wasn't coming. There's and who are you going to call? Really, we didn't leave a number. <laughs> Yeah, but the Shogun Warriors, uh, they lasted 20 issues, and uh, it was obviously Kaiju inspired a lot of the, the monsters that they and robots that they fought, and they did fight a huge robot called Megatron, and this was a couple years before Transformers. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, the series ended, but... Uh, Believe it or not, uh, the Shogun Warriors still existed in the Marvel Universe. And, uh, you know, back then especially, I was waiting, and along with a lot of other friends of mine, you know, surely, surely Godzilla will fight the Shogun Warriors. That has to happen. It's the same guy drawing it. That has to happen. We thought, we thought, okay, this is what they're building up for. There would be a big fight between the Shogun Warriors and Godzilla. Never happened. Now, as adults, we realize that it was a licensing issue. Very much so, yes. <laughs> yeah. But, so the Shogun Warriors still exist in the Marvel Universe, but unlike Godzilla, who, you know, underwent a metamorphosis in his later Iron Man appearances, mm-hmm. which, um, I guess they, Marvel really didn't know what to do with the Shoguns. So, <laughs> in the last issue of Shogun Warriors, number 20, the Fantastic Four appears. So, a couple of years later, uh, the favor was returned. Mm-hmm. The Shogun Warriors appeared in issue 226 of the Fantastic Four. And they appear as rubble. Because <laughs> the Fantastic Four are summoned by, by the pilots of the Shogun Warriors. Mm-hmm. The Fantastic Four are up to you know the hangars or the, where the Shoguns are. And they're just in pieces. They're completely destroyed. And what happened to them is uh, some guy hiking, some criminal, some drifter, he stumbles into the remains of the uh, of the compound of the Followers of Light. They're the ones who built the Shogun Warriors and enlisted the human host to pilot them. Mm-hmm. So he, as he's walking through the ruins, as always happens... He stumbles upon a heretofore unknown chamber <laughs> that was untouched by by the, uh, Lord Marakon's you know, destructors, and uh, and um, he finds a fourth robot which was unfinished, and it's a very uninspired design com- as compared to the Japanese designed mm-hmm. shoguns, but it's a fourth robot that which is uh, also unimaginably unimaginatively dubbed the Samurai Destroyer. <laughs> so, using the, the information from the uh, Followers of Light databanks, 
he goes to where the shoguns are being housed individually and destroys all them. And of course, the FF fight the samurai destroyer and and have, and destroy it. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the book, we see the human hosts of the shoguns talking to the Fantastic Four. Well, we're sad that our time is defenders of the earth with these giant robots is over, but now we can get back to our lives. And to my knowledge, none of those characters has ever been seen again. No, but at least they got a swan song of some sort. So. Yeah, yeah, at least, you know, it, it wasn't... Uh... But you know what? Then again, too. Well, then again, there's licensing issues, but as we're seeing, you know, this whole wave of nostalgia mm-hmm. might have resulted in the Shogun Warriors returning. Well, I, I mean, to a, to a point, I mean, uh, I know that, uh, was it, uh, Toinami uh, has has the license to an extent. Yeah, Leopard on put out their in. own versions of the Shogun Warriors, though. Yeah, but you know, they've been teasing those for years now. We've only seen prototypes. I, I don't think those are going to be made. We'll see. I mean, there's it's Toinami. They're they they clearly know their their audience is. You know, we aim at a specific point, but the problem is is that like I I'm curious to how that Godzilla reissue sold because that thing was expensive. See, but I love it. I, I want to get one. Yeah, and I but definitely it's, want to use, uh, the Comic Con exclusive that uh, has the same colors and the same uh, graphics as the original Mattel release. Mm-hmm. But it was no, over three hundred dollars, uh, though. Oh my god! Uh, the the Comic Con version is like five hundred. But yeah. I, I'm an idiot. I'd spend it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a good sculpt, though. It's got. I, I liked that they gave it a little more of a the classic Godzilla look. Like the, it's got the Mothra face on it. Yes. It, Obviously, based on the '64 Godzilla, and uh, God, I would have loved this had this come out back in 1977, 78. Mm-hmm. I would have, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty amazing. Now, I had I had one of the original ones. It, he was Sans the the Fist, so mm-hmm. that's why my dad gave him to me. Oh. And then, sadly, he bit the dust in the Northridge earthquake, though. So <laughs> now I. I um, not me. My brother had one. I had Radine. My brother got one for Christmas from his godfather. Mm-hmm. And I envied my brother so damn much. Like, you shouldn't have him. I should have him. I'm the one that loves Godzilla. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, uh, my dad, a couple years later, they were in the garage taking up space, so he threw them away. Thank you, Dad. Thank you for throwing away the shoguns. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> my my mother loves to bring it up to him that he threw those away, <laughs> but uh, but believe it or not, in 1995 in Chicago, when I attended the very first G-Con, mm-hmm. now known as G-Fest, uh, I was able to buy a very fine condition Godzilla Shogun in the box, complete, intact, with uh the little catalog and instruction sheet wow. for $100. Holy crap. And I have it to this day. Over the time, I, I did manage to get uh, one of the Japanese Jumbosaurus. Mm-hmm. I, I did get rid of last year as part of my collection purge, but I still have my Mattel version, and... Uh, I think I'm going to keep them because I would like to get those Toinami versions as a companion piece and eventually 
reacquire another jumbo source. That would be a nice, happy family for me. Oh, well, yeah, you got everyone needs something to strive for. Like you need those little things. So, but uh, yeah, that's a lot of money, though, man. But you know, Godspeed on that. <laughs> yeah, but you know, they're all over the place. You can find them. Yeah. So, back let, let, let let's uh, let's let's come around the band on this because we're uh, we're getting to the home stretch. Okay. So after uh, Godzilla's space adventure. Uh, Shield comes up with a great idea of how to uh, take care of their Godzilla problem, and they go to none other than one Henry Pym, aka Ant Man, and then aka at this point Yellow Jacket. Yes. And the idea is like, well, well, we kind of we kind of glossed over something. The original Helicarrier was destroyed in issue three by Godzilla. And so, right. S.H.I.E.L.D. introduced a new helicarrier. specifically destroyed it. Yes. And then they, uh, they, were introdu- they introduced the behemoth. Yes. Which was kind of set the standard for the helicarriers for a, a long time, too. It's another thing that came out of this book. Like, that design pretty much was set for like a good like, 10, 15 years. Like, there's a lot of S.H.I.E.L.D. books with that design out there. And uh, captured him. No, no, you know, no, no appeal. So they're like, we'll shrink him down and we'll put him in a cage. And thus they did. So um, famously with the with the cover with Dum Dum reaching down to grab a a rat sized Godzilla, which led to another great wacky adventure. Godzilla gets out and he goes through the sewers of uh, of uh, New York and fights a rat. <laughs> Yeah. Viciously murdering it too with its with his atomic breath. <laughs> so the uh, the pin particles start wearing off. Godzilla comes out of the sewers, just happens to run into uh, uh, our, our child hero uh, Robbie, who says, "You're not safe out here." Now at this point, Godzilla's like six foot tall, and uh, Godzilla manages to listen to this kid. Godzilla. <laughs> So Robbie puts a trench coat on him and a top hat because as as what you do when you're trying to look inconspicuous, especially in New York. Work for the. It, it did work for the thing. Who, when, so Robbie hi- decides to hide Godzilla in the Natural History Museum, which doesn't go well, which alerts uh, the local authorities, who then call. The Fantastic. The Fantastic Four. Uh, <clears throat> which gives us a uh, a a great moment of uh, we get the thing literally going toe to toe with Godzilla. It's something like as as a child I never thought I would see until my father handed me this issue. I'm like, oh, does the thing? Uh, yes, the thing fights Godzilla, and it's amazing. And uh, God, <laughs> the the tear apart the museum. And the thing ends up uh, like walloping Godzilla into a tank of live sharks, and uh, pretty much the net, it, that's where the issue ends. And the cliffhanger when they come back, Reed becomes the voice of reason. It's like we we can't kill him, Ben. You need to get him out of this. So Ben has to jump in while sharks are trying to bite him because he's the thing. They have no effect on him, and he literally lot like picks up and tosses Godzilla out of this tank, and he's just bitching and moaning about about it the whole time too 
which is classic Ben Grimm, if you if you know your thing. So, Reed, being the scientist that he is, has a better idea to deal with the current Godzilla problem. Let's send him back home. And by back home, that is uh, a good... Uh, a good 65 million years in the past. Into, uh... Who does he end up meeting when he goes, uh... It, well, he doesn't exactly go back in time, because it turns out the radiation from the Godzilla limits screws up Reed's time machine, which is actually Doc Doom's time machine. <clears throat> so with that, we get the greatest crossover that Marvel could produce for us. Yes. And what was that, Mark? Godzilla... Meets the Avengers. Actually, no, no. Before that, when Godzilla, when Godzilla oh, sent back yes, the yes, yes, this is the one I was very much excited for. Yes. Using Doctor Doom's time machine, mm-hmm. and also considering that Godzilla is still not full size, he's about dinosaur size, mm-hmm. the same size as Devil Dinosaur, mm-hmm. whom he meets in the past, of, you know, via Doctor Doom's time machine, mm-hmm. and at first they fight each other. Which is what we want to see. Mm-hmm. Dinosaur versus Godzilla. Oh, it's such an awesome cover too. Yes, and then of course uh, they're fighting each other and they're missing the real invaders, and uh, you know some uh, uh, some dinosaur clan from another valley. And so of course Moon Boy goes and pleads pleads uh, with Devil Dinosaur and Godzilla for help. Mm-hmm. And of course Godzilla looks at Moon Boy and. These a very a very uh, familiar form. Mm-hmm. Bill's eyes, he looks like Rob. Yes. So he listens to Boom Boy, mm-hmm. and both him and Devil Dinosaur vanquish all of the enemy clan, just in time for for the pin particles to totally wear off, and uh, Godzilla grows to his full size right in front of them, as of course the Moon Boy and the rest of the uh, small folk consider it this, you know, he was sent here, he is a divine creature. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he, you know, he's sent back in time to the present, where he, where he, Godzilla emerges full size right in the heart of Manhattan Bay. <laughs> of course he does. And that sets up his meeting with the Avengers. Which is our grand final. <clears throat> so we go into the home stretch and, and, it's it's the whole lineup. It's everyone. It's Thor. It's Captain America. It's uh well tech, it's Yellow Jacket. So Ant Man, Giant Man, Wasp, um, Vision. Vision. Is this Scarlet Scarlet Witch wasn't on that, was she? Mm, I don't think so. So and knows those five and Iron Man. Iron Man, yes. Yes, Iron Man was the last one. Fantastic Four were still involved. Yes, and the, yeah, yeah, pretty much at this point it became a giant kind of free-for-all of, like, the main... At this point, I, people, I mean, the Avengers and FF were the big books back in the 70s. They were the books. Yes. Like, X-Men and Spider-Man, they were, they were big sellers, but they weren't what they were in the 90s, like, when Marvel <laughs> completely focused on them. Like, these, like, you got the, the creme de la creme right here, and this is how you're going to go. You have Godzilla facing down two of the biggest teams in the Marvel Universe. You have Thor literally whack Godzilla. You have uh, Wasp and, Ant- and Yellow Jacket going to Godzilla's ear and start hitting their stingers on him, throwing him off. Uh, Shield gets in there. There's at least two 
one of the best splash pages of the of the entire book, where it's just it's two pages. Godzilla's like turned to the side, blasting fire, and everything. Everybody is just laying on him. And there's a beautiful, beautiful joke of while this is all going on, we cut to the Daily Bugle, and of course J. Jonah Jameson yelling on the phone, "Where's Parker? We need pictures, damn it!" Because there's a story to be had. And lo and behold, while he's yelling on the phone. Godzilla pops into J. Jonah Jameson's view in his in his room, in his office. Jameson pretty much opens the window and blows smoke in Godzilla's face like a jackass. And Godzilla just gives him a gentle little roar, sending him in his office flying, pretty much. It's a, it's a magnificent bit of uh, of comedy. Which brings up one of my, my giant, like, irks with this is that, like, if you're throwing everybody in at this point... Why not throw Spidey in there? I know he sh- he shows up at the last like last two panels, snaps a picture as Godzilla's walking into the sea, but why not throw Spidey in there? It was one of that and the Hulk. Those were the two things we missed out on. Everyone wanted to see the Hulk by Godzilla. But yes. it never. I don't know why we never got it, but say la vie, I guess. So pretty much everything comes to a standstill. Robbie pleads with Godzilla. Somehow he still understands him and he can communicate with him. And Godzilla just, you know, finishes his rampage and just walks back out to the sea and goes off into the sunset. It's a it's a nice finish for the uh, for the book. And after that, that that's pretty much all she wrote for the most part for Godzilla in the Marvel Universe. Now he didn't go away. All these stories still count. They're all part of the canon. So. What do you do with a licensed character that you can no longer really use? You find some creative ways to to get around it. <laughs> they uh, every time he's brought up, and you know they don't ever call him by Godzilla. They call him by what? What do they call him? Uh, big green lizard or fire breathing dinosaur or something like that. Yeah. And then, years later, Dr. Demonicus gets a hold of him, mutates him into a more uh, copyright-friendly-looking monster. And then, uh, eventually, he shows back up. There's there's a great panel in um, Mighty Avengers number one where the Mole Man is attacking, and uh, he's clearly drawn in on the side, so he's rampaging with the rest of the Mole Man's monsters. And then, later on... Uh, in a X-Men book, he actually shows up again, uh, this time mutated even more, and he actually looks like a, um, more of a Jack Kirby-style design, like, if Jack Kirby truly designed Godzilla. Um, and, yeah, he looks like a, um, he looks like Godzilla and Fing Fang Foom pretty much, like, were merged into one big, big monster. And uh, gets killed by Archangel. So, as far as that goes, uh, technically, I guess Godzilla in the Marvel U is dead. But then again, they kind of reset everything anyway. So, I don't know if it really matters anymore. Which is why I don't read Marvel really much anymore. I remember I was I was pleasantly surprised in a very early issue of Marvel's Transformers comic. Godzilla is mentioned by Dum Dum Dugan and Nick Fury. Mm. It was a, I think it was number three. The issue was Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Oregon. Yeah. 
you know, so the Decepticons have their uh, base in Oregon. And uh, then it cuts to uh, the helicarrier, interior of the helicarrier. says, in the flying headquarters of America's super spy organization, S.H.I.E.L.D., and you see Nick Fury sitting there in the foreground, chopping on a cigar. In the background, Dum Dum Dugan approaching him, saying, Nick, we got to check out what's going on in Oregon. And then he turns around and says, Dum Dum, if that big green fire snorting lizard is loose again, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> Which really think about that. Marvel brought to, not only brought us Godzilla, they brought some of Gona Guy's creations into the same universe, but. In a weird way, Godzilla exists alongside the Transformers. Yeah. Because the Transformers very much were part of the Marvel Universe at that point, too. Yeah, because Spider-Man appeared with them, so mm-hmm. the Marvel Universe. Uh, they find the, the Dinobots in the Savage Land. So, yeah, yeah they're they're all they're all mixed in Marvel. There was a point, Marvel was one... They Damn it, they knocked it out of the park at, at points. It, it, again, I, I've been kind of trumping this horn of uh, of like how they suck today, and it's a lot of it is a lot of bad corporate decisions. It's I don't know. There's just something not the same about it anymore. I, you know, I guess you know it's just the way it goes. I, hopefully, they get out of their rut that they're in right now. But I don't know. Back 70s, 80s, great times for for Marvel comics. Like they, it, it was. It's one thing to do a licensed book. But to weave it into your main continuity, that's a whole other thing, all, all in its own. Yeah, I mean, I mean, can you imagine Star Wars, you know, meeting the meeting like uh, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy or the Star Jammers? Oh God, yeah, that, it would it would be it, it would today it would sell it would sell hard. Um, it just it won't happen though because they're their own things. I mean, imagine imagine the Death Star being attacked by Galactus. Oh God. It, <laughs> I need somebody to draw that for me. I've, I've got a feeling there's something like that out there already, but I got it. Someone has to draw that for me. So the, the Death Star versus Galactus versus, yes. versus uh, what's his name? Ego and Unicron. Yes, which <laughs> theoretically they all exist in the Marvel universe somewhere. Yep. So God damn, they, man, they had they had a great they had a great lineup. Jeez. So and after that, seventy nine it ends, and we don't get Godzilla back on American shores in American comics for another ten years. After that, I think it was eighty seven or eighty eight is when the Dark Horse that Dark Horse one off special was was produced. Uh, that was six, I think. Eighty six. Eighty seven. Yeah, that, that the Godzilla super special. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, there's that black and white one, and then. They did a couple years later. They did uh, just a straight manga adaptation. It was a straight manga translation. Yeah, of, uh, of the of uh, of eighty five. Yeah, and then I think a good five years after that. Well, it's a few years after that, then they do the color special that Art Adams drew. When he bought the uh, the uh, license friendly version of Daimajin. Yes, with Gikujin, as they call them. <laughs> Yes, and then uh, from there we get the two part. I love the uh, the priestess's name for Gekidojin, Okimune, big breast. <laughs> That's art for you. He's just he's having a lot of fun. <laughs> and then uh, then we get the two part, which it, 
Dark Horse sat on that license for a long time, really didn't do a lot with it. I don't know, maybe it was just like, do we pull the trigger on a, on Godzilla? I mean, will it really work? And, you know, we get the two-part in the Dark Horse Presents, which then led into the main Dark Horse comics, which very much in its own way kind of followed Marvel's footprint. It's like, well, we don't have any of the monsters, so we're just going to blaze our own trail and kind of have fun with it. And, you know, they create their own little mini-universe with it, too, because it all... It went all the way back to that first black and white special and came back around, and now we yeah. have... Yeah, it had the same Doctor, and then, of course, they had their own versions that, you know, they couldn't use Mechagodzilla, so they had yeah. Cybersaur. Cybersaur. They had uh, the All-Tarantula. The All-Tarantula. Uh, <laughs> you know, they had their their giant bat monster, which was Bugora, I believe it was. Yeah, Bugora. Yeah. Which, uh, in issue, like, three and four, which was, actually, yeah, I think it was, like, issue four. Which also, like, a little, like, huh. I wonder if this is a little nod here. Yeah. Uh, we had a, uh, Godzilla travel through time. In a That's went downhill for me. They were kind of, well, the, it was supposed to wrap up, I think, before that storyline. And I think they were doing well enough, they're like, we're going to push it forward. And that's when they did the Godzilla across time. And then they were given, I think, four more issues after that, which were all single-contained uh, stories, which were... Bob Eggleton did one with the, with the creature that was very reminiscent of Destroyer. Yes. Before Destroyer. Yeah, where Godzilla has the, the was-it-really-a-dream kind of thing. It was it was an interesting take on it, on, yeah. uh, on that. Uh, Godzilla fights the... Lord Howie Monster in six. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, and then they oh there was the issue where um, the two guys from G Force climb Godzilla. Yes. And they deal with like the parasites and stuff that are on them and, and all kinds of it, the the last four kind of I think they ended on a stronger note than the uh, the, the the time travel arc. So. And then, then you're forgetting too. Uh, what I was what I was uh, most delighted to see, you know, after seeing all a lot of the. Uh, you know, Toho, you know, stand-ins like the Cybersword and Alterangela, we find out that the ones behind the attack are the black hole aliens. That that was a very clever thing, because that, that arc, too, was written by um, was written by Art Adams as well. Yeah. He didn't draw, but he wrote that arc. So, that was, and they, they were very, they were the ape men. Yeah, the ape men, they, yeah, they were attacking and using I thought that was fantastic, but then once the, once they went with the Alex Ross time travel story, mm-hmm. sorry, it didn't do it for me seeing Godzilla fly through time followed by a Cadillac. <laughs> yeah, so they could rob banks and crap like that. It's, oh my god. You know, people talk crap about the Marvel Godzilla, and it's like, you know what? It's leagues better than what you know, the Dark Horse series ended up becoming. It started strong. It started strong, but then it's like, you know, it should have ended a couple issues before this, and then it would have been a good series. It's much like their their, their take on it, which I'm st- today it still astonishes me that they did that Gamera miniseries, too. Yeah, I was about to mention that, and that that, that was very odd. I mean, it, was, it was pretty ambitious to have all of the Showa monsters in it. It was. I, I remember, I think it was like Comic-Con 95 or 96 when that, I think it might have been 96. I was at Comic-Con. I was at uh, the Dark Horse booth because Art Adams was signing. So I was in line to, to meet Art. 
uh, one of the, uh, the one of the guys who was in charge of the line was actually one of the writers at Dark Horse. This is back when, like, you didn't... Back when the convention center was half the size it was today, and the four big guys, the Marvel, DC, Image, and Dark Horse, were the very center of the convention center. And that was that was the... Where everybody went to. That was it. That was uh, the, the, the hub. And Dark Horse had a huge booth. You had Hellboy, you had Ghost, you had all their... Like, when they were doing their superhero line, so... They had a lot of stuff going on for them. Like, Dark Horse, like, it, it, they were pumping out the Alien Predator comics. So, <clears throat> I was in line, I was talking to, I, I don't remember the gentleman's name off the top of my head, but he was very forthcoming with a lot of information. And I was going on about how I was enjoying the Dark Horse Godzilla book. He's like, oh. I'm like, yeah. And I told him, it's like, hey, it'd be cool if you guys did a Gamera book one day. He's like, oh, we are doing a Gamera book. I'm like, get out of here. And this is like, you know, twelve-year-old Chris is just going off like, "How are you guys doing a Gamera book?" He's like, oh, "Godzilla did well enough." Like, we did, we got Gamera, which today would blow my mind if Dai, if if Kotakawa and Toho even touch tips like this with like someone, one company licensing both of their characters like that. Like, I don't think that would happen today. Just out of the weird pissing uh, matches that they have with each other, it seems. So, uh, and I'm, I'm like, well, is it going to be like the Godzilla books where you know they're coming up? It's like, oh no, no, we we got we got Gauss, we got a, we got a bunch of the monsters. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, it was, it was like nothing. Like he was very nonchalant about it. It was almost like that scene in Wayne's World when they're talking to Chris Farley and he's explaining where uh, Frankie Sharp of Shark Records is going to on his tour, and Wayne and Garth walk away and they're like, yeah, that guy had a lot of information. I wonder if it'll come in handy later on. That was that moment for me. Like, with this dude telling me all about these uh, Dark Horse Gamera books coming out. So, and they were wacky. Oh my god, were they wacky. Like, they clearly were going off the, the last... The the Guardian of the Universe, which wasn't... I don't think... Was properly released here. Like, I think it had the theatrical release at the time, but I don't think it had a home video release yet. And even then, it wasn't a wide release either. But they're like, yeah, let's, let's, why not? Let's do it. Beautiful cover art. Ooh, not so good interior art. Like, hmm. Those were, you know, what? we're gonna have to do a whole podcast on those books alone because they, they, oh, they are, they are something special. So, but, uh, but yes, I digress. It, it, Dark Horse, they, they had. I will give Dark Horse credit. They kept Godzilla alive. In a time when Godzilla was kind of winding down in Japan, so it was nice to have something. And, and for you guys today that just are getting into it, you don't know it was a dry desert of getting anything Godzilla, especially licensed back then. In the mid '90s, you were grateful for any little nugget. I mean, there was stuff coming out of Japan, but it's not like today where like companies were directly importing this stuff. Like, no, no, no. You you had to go to a show where someone went to Japan bought up a bunch of stock of this stuff, and then brought it back over here and gouged the crap out of you for it. So, there was no eBay, there was none of this stuff. So, if you got something cool in Japanese, you paid you paid out of your butt for it. So, any little comic, I was... 12-year-old me was happy as hell to get. So, uh, hopefully, I'm hoping IDW continues forward. They haven't announced anything yet, so... 
and I haven't heard anything, so I'm I'm just assuming that perhaps they're putting the brakes, but mm, hopefully they're maybe waiting till interest picks back up towards the next movie. Don't know. I have to ask somebody about that, but I don't want to. I don't want to pull that card, so. Um, it, let, let's, t- real quick, let's talk about, uh, the, you know, the writing, the writer and the, uh, our writer and artist team, you know, um, Herb Trempe, who sadly is no longer with us. You actually got to, we both met him. Uh, you met him at Kamikaze where we first met, ironically. About four or five months before his death. Mm-hmm. I, I did speak to him about Godzilla and the Shogun Warriors, which he told me he really enjoyed drawing the Shoguns, that he enjoyed more than the Transformers, that he didn't really care for the Transformers. Mm-hmm. I did a commission for him. I, I purchased a commission from him, which he said, well, he said, this is pretty complicated because uh, this is, you're asking for multiple characters and it's something I can't do here. I told him, oh, please. I said, take all the time you need. God told me this is something I've been wanting to see since I was a kid. And uh, thanks to you, you, I will finally see it. So he drew me a picture of all three Shogun warriors fighting Godzilla. And I have that original drawing in a plastic sleeve to this day. And uh, it's something I treasure very much. It's one of, your, it's one of the jewels of your collection. <clears throat> it's, a, it's pretty awesome, too. Um, Trimpy, you know, outside of Shogun Warriors and Transformers and Godzilla, he did a lot. I mean, most famously, for those who don't know, he was, uh, the guy that first drew Wolverine, uh, because he was working, Trimpy was working on the Hulk at that time, so, uh, if you, if you ever met him at any show, you saw a lot of people with a lot of Wolverine books in their hands for him to sign, and a lot of Wolverine commissions for him to do, so, I think after a while, like, that character kind of haunted him a little bit. But he did, he also did Spectre, he did Teen Titans, he did uh, World's Finest, House of Mystery, Green Arrow, G.I. Combat, uh, uh, Challengers of the Unknown, a bunch of that stuff for Marvel, uh, Adventures into Fear, Astonishing Tales, did a few runs of Captain Marvel, did some, uh, he did uh, a few of the Conan books. Uh, Ghost, a, like a couple of uh, issues of Ghost Rider, Master Kung Fu, uh, where um, their werewolf book. Uh, he did an adaption of Island of Doctor Monroe for them. Yeah, and I think I think he did the uh, first couple issues of Transformers. Did he not? I believe he, yes, I believe he did. And then uh, uh, their version of Cole the Conqueror for a huge run, King Conan. Which uh, another under very underappreciated book I think today the the Marvel Conan books those were great books damn it and Moon Knight did Moon Knight as well actually no you know what? I'm sorry yeah we're talking about Monic now we're not talking about um Trump oh, oh, okay. I'm looking at the wrong guy I'm s- it's a little hard. late when we're recording this so I got I got my pages open weird so I have lost track I apologize people Trumpy going back to Trumpy he actually did um. He, okay, he did a... Uh, oh, he did a cover for uh, BRPD. Then he did, for Marvel, worked on... Uh, he did a issue of Amazing Spider-Man. He worked on the Avengers, Avengers West Coast. A uh, few issues of Captain America. Creatures on the Loose. Chamber of Darkness. Deadly Hands of Kung Fu. Uh, a run on the Defenders. Uh, a couple of Fantastic Four annuals. 
Uh, he did an adaption of the uh, Indiana Jones book that Marvel did. He did G.I. Joe. A uh, few runs on Ghost Rider. Uh, a couple of the original Guardians of the Galaxy. Of course, his infamous run on Incredible Hulk. He did a huge run on Iron Man. He did Machine Man. Oh, man, that's going back. <laughs> uh, Marvel Team-Up book. The Nam. He did uh, He did a few runs on The Nam. Uh <laughs> He did another, like, he, he was the go-to guy for uh, the licensing stuff. Did Planet of the Apes, RoboCop, um, did some Savage Tales, a run on Spectacular Spider-Man, uh, Strange Tales, Supervillain Tales to Astonish, yeah, Transformers for, yeah, a, a, a few issues, and a few issues of X, uh, X-Men. And then he also did um, uh, the, um, he did some of uh, the, uh, he penciled the Dinosaur's Attack cards, too. So, and then uh, Doug, um, is it Doug Monick, right? Monchek. Monchek, thank you. That's a little weird. That guy, famously, th- now this guy, after Godzilla, went on to create characters for both DC and Marvel. He was the creator of Deathlock. He also created Moon Knight, which uh, he, I believe he's getting his own Netflix uh, show pretty soon, too. And then wow. he, then most famously, he went on and did a epic run on Batman in the '90s. And uh, during his run in the '80s and '90s, he co- he co- was one of the co-creators of Black Mask, one of Batman's uh, you know kind of more major villains. And he was one of the creators of Bane as well. And uh, most famously, uh, he was the writer of the Nightfall storyline. Uh, if you know your Batman, if Jessica was here, she would go on and on about this. In the 90s, when uh, Superman was dying, Batman got his back broken by Bane. And Batman was out of commission for a while. So, <coughs> Bruce had to pass the mantle to somebody else while he was you know, recuperating. And uh, that person was none other than Azrael himself, Jean-Paul Valley, who took over and took... Uh, being Batman to the extreme. Uh, the Jean-Paul Valley Batman was the one with the armor and the big clawed hands and uh, had no issues about killing people, which led to a uh, um, the end of the Nightfall storyline where Bruce heals up and has to go reclaim the mantle of the bat from him. It's probably the, mo- the, the most famous storyline that... Uh, one, uh, the, one of the most famous storylines out of the 90s of Batman ever. And uh, to this day... Awesome design, uh, crap character in my opinion. I, nobody cares about Jean-Paul Valley. If you say any different, you're a damn liar, or you're you're just pulling someone's leg. So, <coughs> both these men had a long and illustrious career post Godzilla, and uh, I would definitely recommend tracking down some of their other work if yeah. you uh, if you're listening to this. So, uh, all right. Uh, Mark, any other you know last words you want to talk about of the Marvel Godzilla before we uh, wrap things up? Uh, just uh, per- personally for me, it, it's still my favorite Godzilla series. I mean, I know that it seems like blasphemy, you know, when you consider like the IDW books are so mm-hmm. close tied in with the Toho films, and they're great. I'm not knocking them at all, but you know, the nostalgia weighs heavily with me. Mm-hmm. Marvel Godzilla, and uh, I love it, and, uh, you know, as we've said, for people who 
who haven't seen it, I mean, I'm sure you can find pages online, but, and then of course there's that, uh, that little, uh, digest version. I, I really, really, really wish Marvel would make a big full color oversized omnibus like they did with Devil Dinosaur. I would love that too. But I would love that. Oh, and, uh, earlier before, uh, quick aside, um, earlier before, uh, we started recording, we were mentioning the other, like, giant monster comics were like, Fing Fang Foom, and, uh, such other monsters came from, you know, where creatures roam, where monsters dwell, you know, all of those, uh, books that Marvel published and reprinted. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, there are big, oversized digests coming out of them. Being, being released. Are they put out by Marvel, or are they put out by IDW? Because they... That seems to be the game that, that they're in right now. I believe Marvel's putting them out. They're really, they're really expensive. They're like 60 bucks or so. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's the collected monster comics. Ooh. So, yeah, you know, for, so for the price of one of the originals, mm-hmm. you can get a big full-color compendium of the various monster stories, mostly drawn by Jack Kirby and... Uh, 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 who else drew those? Oh, uh, Carmine Infantino didn't do a few of those, did he? I'm not sure. trying to remember who did... Itko did some of them. Yeah. yeah. I know Itko did the Tim Buba story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but uh, a lot of them were Kirby. Yeah, well, Kirby was the guy that did all that stuff. Kirby, I'd, say, I'd say easily Kirby and Ditko did most of them. Yeah, and then, uh, in the, in the, um... Yeah, because then later on we got like the seventies. They brought, they kind of did like a, they kind of brought him back in the seventies a little bit too, but ne- never to the extent of like when Kirby was was putting them out. That's the thing I don't think people realize that like Groot was a Kirby creation. Yes. Yeah. So uh, it, it, a little history for you there, right there. Um. All right. Well, I, I think that's all on that front. Uh, real quick, a few things. Um, because we probably won't get to them in the next. Uh, next episode because we got we have more stuff to talk about. Real quick, I kind of want to mention the passing of the last great Showa director. Uh, we lost uh, Yoshimitsu Bano last week. Yes. So I mean, here's the thing: the man cr- gave us one of the craziest uh, entries into the entire series. Um, I, the the adult me appreciates Smog Monster so much more. Than the kid in me did, than the the child version of me did, and mostly it's my love for just insane cinema. Like I, I truly hold that that Smog Monster is is a quiet genius film. Like quietly, it, it it's it's spectacular. Like people look at it because it, that's the movie where Godzilla flies. Oh, so like out there, it's like I don't know, but there's this weird psychedelic. It's it's pretty much as if. Hunter S. Thompson got high and wrote a Godzilla script, <laughs> and it was illustrated. Pretty much, if if uh, if uh, 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 Ralph Steadman illustrated all of it, like it's, it's it, that's the best way I can describe that movie. It's it, it's amazing to this day, and it's a it's a wonder that this thing even got made. So, and let's not forget too that besides that, you know his other his other works. Uh, the Last Days of Nostradamus, which in itself is another weird film. Have you ever seen that one? Yes. Yeah. Oh my God, it's uh, it's insane. It's freaking insane. 
It's got one of the weirdest endings I've ever seen in any film, with the with the weird mutants just frolicking around on the ground for no reason, like they're having a like a drug adult seizure. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, like I watched that, like that they showed that on Godzilla Theater out here. It was one of the, it was like the last movie in the in their lineup. It's like the, out here was called Last Days of Planet Earth. It's a like watching that thing at like two forty five in the morning when you're nine years old is not something I recommend for anybody because that uh, that movie like it didn't it didn't scar me it just weirded me out like I didn't like it was un unnerving in a lot of things especially the whole idea of, like the world coming to an end the way it did like as a kid I'm like can that really happen and, like that that's not the kind of things you want you want in your head at that point. Um, yeah. And you know he also did. He was a very he was very big on on you know the environment. He was also big in the IMAX game too. Like he was instrumental in IMAX in Japan. He did a lot of IMAX documentaries out there, and uh, that's what brought ultimately brought Godzilla back to the U.S. Like it was after Toho put up the uh, you know hung Godzilla up after the 50th anniversary. He went to Toho. It's like hey. I want to make this 40-minute IMAX experience because this was before, um, the, uh, but, but you know, before IMAX had really taken over like mainstream movies. Like you, you had to go to a science center to watch a real IMAX film, and they weren't long. They were under like an hour at, at most because the platters could only hold so much for the format. So he was taking this concept. He's like, I want to do an IMAX Godzilla movie. And it was going to be called Godzilla 3D to the Max. And because he had the rights, he got approached by um, a few producers who then took it to Legendary. And because of the all, because of Bano, we got the Legendary Godzilla. We have the Legendary Universe now. Like a lot of it is on his shoulders for you know getting that all set up. He's still and he's listed as producer on that uh, on that first film. So. It's uh, you know, sad to see him go. He he, let, and let's be honest. He lived a long, fruitful life. Uh, but uh, no, he. I mean, he will be a great figurehead in the fandom for for years to come because he did a lot and he was a an interesting cat to say the least. So, especially out of anybody on that, like he was the most. I I, I would honestly say he was the most world traveled of all the Godzilla directors out there too. So. I mean, there was that famous story of, of how he came up with the nightclub sequence uh, when Hedera attacked in Smog Monster. That he and his uh, writer got the idea from uh, when they accidentally visited a gay club in, I think it was Chicago, in the 70s. So that that's the story I heard. I'm pretty sure someone out there is probably like, no, no, no that's not it. Like, if that if it's anywhere off like that, please just post it on the Facebook page. It's but that's the story I read though. So. Uh, other than that, Mark, you have something coming up too, don't you? Yes. Um, in, in next week, actually, from uh, this date we're recording this on, May twenty sixth through twenty eighth, in Dallas, Texas, is the famous Monsters Convention being held at the Sheraton Dallas in downtown. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of guests, guests from Star Trek and various horror and sci fi. But of interest to us fans of Japanese monster movies, uh, our two guests are notable. 
Uh, we have Shinji Higuchi, co-director of Shin Godzilla and one of the founders of Gainax, and also known as the special effects director of the uh, Heisei Gamera trilogy, will be on uh, as a guest, along with making his first U.S. convention appearance, Mr. Keiichi Sakurai, who is the cinematographer and director of photography for Shin Godzilla, plus a lot of, uh, of the Heisei and Showa Godzilla films. He's one of the guys who's like, he worked on so many of the films, but, you know, he's one of the unsung heroes and really mm-hmm. behind the scenes, but it's good to see that uh, he's being honored for his work. And uh, I've had the pleasure of meeting Mr. Sakurai a couple times in Japan. Uh, the first time I met him when I was at Toho Studios. And uh, it was great because he came out and he met us. And at the time, he was working on Attack on Titan along with Higuchi. And uh, he came to see us because we were there shooting uh, my documentary project. And uh, he was reunited with Robert Scott Field, who he worked with on Godzilla vs. King Ghidra. But anyway, they will be the guests at the Famous Monsters Convention in Dallas, Texas. And I will be there attending uh, on Saturday. I got this. I don't think they, they posted the uh, final schedule yet, and they're running it really close. But when I last heard from the people, they approved a panel for me on Saturday in which I will be showing a lot of very rare, um, very rare clips from a lot of the films that I've managed to track down. Of course, I'll be showing footage from uh, Wolfman vs. Godzilla, Gamera 4, uh, a lot of other uh, very obscure things that you're, you honestly will not see anywhere else. One thing I will be spotlighting, because um, the, the, the guests were brought out by the fine folks at Monster Attack Team. And Monster Attack Team, uh, they their new issue, brand new issue of Monster Attack Team, uh, should be available at the famous Monsters Convention in Dallas. It should premiere there. And uh, they were nice enough to ask me to write an article about one of the rare and lost films that I've covered, which is Zoku Kaite Gunkan, otherwise known as Atragon 2. So in the new issue of Monster Attack Team, I'll have an article covering the uh, rarely seen and rarely known about independent sequel to the original Atragon. And uh, if you go to Famous Monsters Convention in Dallas, Texas, you will see highlights from that film. You will not find this footage online. And it is a sight to behold. I've, uh, I've had the the wonderful uh, opportunity to watch it. Oh, it's awesome. It's, believe me, you, got, you have to see this to believe it. So... <clears throat> Dallas, Texas, people. Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, just go to famousmonsters.com or look up fame or Google Famous Monsters Convention Dallas and you'll get all the information concerning the, the show. Go out there. Go say hi to Mark. It's his first time. You're your, your first time in Texas, right? Or at least the uh, Dallas area? First time in Dallas. I, I did attend a, crypto, a cryptozoology convention in East Texas mm. about seven years ago. Not quite the same as the Dallas area, though, from my, what I know of the area. Great barbecue out there, though. Make sure you go get some barbecue. Go to Hard Eights. In fact, I was talking to artist Lenny Romero today, because mm-hmm. he's going to be attending out there, too. And I was telling him, uh, Chris Eaton has a list of barbecue restaurants, and you and I should go check some of them out while we're out there. He's like, yeah, let's do it. Oh, so- definitely. Oh, you have to. Like, I'm I'm going back out in uh, October, and uh, I already told my buddy, I'm like, 
get ready because I am going to go destroy some barbecue. There is great barbecue. Austin and Dallas have got fantastic barbecue. So uh, you, you you can't go to Texas. It, it's almost illegal to go to Texas and not sample the barbecue. So make sure you are out there. And if you, the listener, are out in the greater Dallas area or will be there, go say hi to Mark. Go uh, go give him a high five and, uh, you know, you know, shoot the shit. It's a good guy. You know, he'll uh, he'll talk your ear off too about a lot of cool stuff. So, uh, yep. d- <laughs> and I will be taking uh, as Chris has as said has called it, and so uh, Kyle Yount also have described as my magic iPad full oh. of all sorts of wonders. So it's like Felix the Cat's bag. It's full of wonders and tricks. So if you've heard of these weird little films, uh. Hit me up in Dallas, and I will show you these weird little films. It's the only way you'll be able to see it, man. The only way you'll be able to see it. So, And uh, on a side note, uh, a little personal business, too. If you are uh, that same weekend, if you can't make it out to Dallas, but you're in the greater Phoenix area, I'll be at the Phoenix Comic Con, uh, you know, slinging uh, some wares with my buddy. So uh, if uh, we're at the CBC booth, we'll be uh, selling a lot of hats and a lot of other cool geeky apparel, so come by and say hi. Uh, you know, I'm just hanging out selling, so uh, it's always nice to meet, you know, fans of, uh, of our show, so. Uh, and then uh, month af- next month after that, we are in we I- I'm in Las Vegas for the amazing Las Vegas Comic Con, and then of course, uh, we have something brewing for San Diego, Nothing's quite set in stone yet, so I uh, don't want to go too much into that right now. But uh, definitely, Jessica and I will both be there, and uh, we might we'll probably have something cooking. So more on that as we get closer to it. So all right, well, 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 go ahead. But you guys are at San Diego Comic Con. I will be in Chicago at G Fest uh, at the Adrian's Attic booth. G Fest. Adrian's Attic is a new company which was offering new products never before seen and uh, more to come. The Adrian Zodic should also be featured in the Monster Attack Team magazine. But uh, you will see more images of what to expect uh, if you uh, subscribe to uh, Kaiju Kingdom Podcast on Facebook and uh, you will start to see over the next couple of weeks. They're they're delightful. They're delightful. And if I may say, too, I have mm. shared this news with Chris, but we will say it here without being specific. At the Adrian's Attic booth at uh, G-Fest, we will be premiering something brand new from Japan, mm. which caused a lot of excitement among uh, IG fans. Chris was very excited hearing this news. I wish I could, I wish I could say it, but... I, but I, I, I don't think they want us to say no, it. Right no, now. no, no. It's best... Look, a surprise is a surprise for a reason. So, if you're in G Fest, you're good. This is gonna knock your socks off. So, I'm just gonna leave it at that. So, ah, oh, it's a good time. I wish I was there. I won't be. Jessica and I sadly won't be at G Fest this year. Uh, we have uh, other prior commitments, and Comic Con is literally three days after that. We did that last year, and it nearly killed us. So, uh, <laughs> because. For me, it's taking off a lot of time for work. For Jessica, it's like two and a half weeks of her life. So, last year, that girl, we did G-Fest. Then we hopped back on a plane back to California. Day after that, hightailed it down to San Diego. 
She was there for a whole week because she stays in San Diego for like four or five days after the convention ends. I don't know why. And then she hopped on a plane to Japan to go uh, uh, see the uh, the opening of uh, Shin Godzilla, which uh, you were there as well. Yeah, I met up with Jessica there in Japan. Oh my God! Yeah, it's like there was a whole month where I don't think she, I don't think her head ever hit her own pillow for like a whole like six weeks. <laughs> so. Yes, so we won't be there this year, but uh, I'm I'm aiming to come back next year, and I'm hoping to uh, bring some people with us. So hopefully things will be much better lined up. So, but that's a whole year away. We'll work on that later. All right, let's wrap this up. It's getting late. So on that note, uh, if you, uh, as Jessica nor- normally tell you, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Facebook.com/slash The Kaiju Kingdom Podcast, on Twitter at The Kaiju Kingdom, all one word. <coughs> Mark, uh, do you have any place where people can get hold of you? Uh, I'm still working on revamping my website, but it should be back up for G Fest because uh, I come G Fest. I'm I don't know if we're going to record before then, but come G Fest, there will be at long last news concerning my moribund project, Kaiju Gaiden. Oh, it lives. Ooh, that, that's a good tease. It's a really good tease to end on. So, all right. Well, that will do it for this edition of the Kaiju Kingdom podcast for myself and Mark Hadamia. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Don't go away. Don't go. Flowers, my flowers. Don't go away. Don't go. We have cobalt, it's full of mercury. Too many fumes in our oxygen. All the smart now is choking you and me. Good Lord, where is it gonna end? Got to get it back someday. Got to get it back and soon now. For tomorrow, maybe you and me. We're moving, we're moving, moving to the moon now. It's up to us to make a choice We know what it's worth to save the earth